0: Hey everybody, Pastor Paul Trimble here with Bent Tree Church. Hey, I want to welcome you and say thanks for joining us for this Bible teaching on video. I just want to give you a couple of things before we get started. One is if you do not have a church home and you live in the northern Colorado area, come join us. We would love to have you. Uh, Just check out the Bent Tree website. It's called benttreechurch.com and it'll have things like times, locations, beliefs, what you can kind of expect the first time you would visit. Uh, But the second thing I want to share with you is this, is this video teaching is designed to be supplemental to your church. So if you have a church, make sure and go to that church. Don't use this as an excuse to stay home and be unconnected. The church is far more than just the sermon. It's an important part, but I want you to go and be involved in your church. Well, I hope you enjoy this. God bless. Well, good morning again. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to be in the book of revelation chapter 15 and and i just encourage you we take notes uh, really fast here if you're new very special welcome we're in a special series that we do once a year here uh we've kind of been proceeding is revelation volume three we wrap it up today uh i hope uh Uh, To be able to launch uh, Revelation Volume 4 in the first half of next year, is that okay? Uh, To be able to land this plane uh, after four years of, you know, uh, we do seven, eight uh, weeks at a time. So uh, have you enjoyed this? Well, I'm glad you're alive. So uh, I'm glad you're alive. Did you enjoy this? I and mean, that's good. I, I've gotten a lot of feedback uh, that God has spoken, not because of me, but because of God's word in there. Well, um, Matthew twenty-four describes a conversation that Jesus has uh, with his uh, with his uh, disciples, and they're talking about the end times. and And they said, "When will we know that the end times when you are coming again?" And he says. Uh, He says, you're going to hear some things. Uh, There's going to uh, be false versions of me, if you will. He said, don't believe them. People will come in my name. He said, don't believe those guys. He said, but how you really know if someone uh, that we're getting close is that you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars all over. But then he said, if you want to be even more specific, he said, you're going to see earthquakes uh, multiply around the world. I think we've seen both of those things. Uh, amen? Uh, we've seen both of those things out there. And uh, he says, watch out. Uh, he says, if you really want to know the end of the ages is coming, it's almost as if he turns to the camera at this point and looks at us. And look what he says. He says, then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you. You will be hated by all the nations because of my name. Jesus is talking about the believers that will uh, turn in massive numbers as a savior, as, to him as a Savior in the midst of that seven years of tribulation. But he's also talking about us. He says you'll face some per- persecution um, the tribulation we've been talking about, seven years of unprecedented evil uh, that has poured out, unprecedented wrath that has poured out, seven years of uh, incredible revival, uh, people turning their hearts to God during this time, all at the same time, he said, you watch out, um, and then we've looked at the seven trumpet blast of angels, the terrible outpouring of wrath upon the earth. We saw the seven seals and the seven trumpet blast, and the earth has just been ravaged. Uh, and, and this intensifies near the end of the second half of the tribulation, called the Great Tribulation. And like Jesus said in Matthew 24, the end is near. The end is near, and today we look at the darkest time of all history, and yet it is still in the future. God delivers a knockout blow to the earth, Uh, and we're going to see that today as we wrap up our series. Well, let's get this train moving, but first, would you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be glorified in what we are doing here today as we open your words, um, your truth. God, our prayer is that you would use these words to prepare our hearts for what you want to do in the future. Not just in the end times, but God, tomorrow. Give us urgency. Change the way we live. Give us uh, the words, God, uh, that you want us to see. I pray um, against fear in our lives. Against, pray against fear uh, in every area of our lives except for holy fear and awe and love that we have should have for you, God. Well, as we open your words, it's in the name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, amen. 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 Well, we have to move quick, so I just encourage you to get those uh, note sheets out and uh, work through this. This is the fourth cycle of visions in the Old Testament in the specifically in Revelation about the triumphal return of Christ Jesus. we don 't have time to spend too much time on each one of these today, but books have been written about each one of these points we 're going to make, uh, but this is god 's judgment plain and simple on the earth and uh, it takes place with both great symbolism but also you're going to be able to see what happens on earth. It's very clear. There's a little bit of uh, stuff at the end we're not sure of, and I'll show you that, but uh, it it takes place immediately after that big scene of worship that we looked at last week. You remember? We're we're all in heaven worshiping. Let's pick it up at verse 5, chapter 15. Here's what we have. After this, I looked. In the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of the testimony was opened and out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. Dressed in pure bright linen with golden sashes wrapped around their chests. Can you get this picture? These angels are wearing white. They have this gold sash. Uh, they are dressed similar to the priests in the Old Testament. Indeed, they are dressed at the same as Jesus himself in Revelation 1 through 4 where he is giving the revelation to the Apostle John. So it you've seen this picture, they're dressed the same as kind of this priest-looking outfit. Here's three things, quick things that I want you to see to set, uh, set up what we're talking about. The number seven symbolizes the completeness of God. Now, this should not be new to you. We've brought this out all through the series. It just means that God is complete. God's not lacking in anything. He doesn't need our help to do something. You understand? He is complete. So look at this. Uh, I want you to understand. Seven angels are going uh, to complete God's wrath. You see how that works? Look at this. White symbolizes the holiness of God. The purity, the separation from anything unclean. So you've got completeness, you've got holiness. You got that picture? Holiness means set apart, pure, undefiled. These workers, these messengers uh, are seven incredibly important, specialized angels. This is probably their only job in Creation. I want you to see this the third thing. God symbolizes, I'm sorry, gold symbolizes the glory of God. Jesus is wearing this same gold sash as he appears to John, right? It's a symbol of royalty, of glory. This is important to understand. What we're about to see is painful. It's terrible. And you might be tempted to say, God, why does it have to be so drastic? Why does your wrath have to be so drastic? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Why didn't God just go, boom? Snap his fingers and everybody fall over dead. Why does it have to be so drastic? Well, this shows us that God's wrath is complete. It is pure. It is glorious. And this blows our mind, but I want you to hear this. It will demonstrate, his wrath will demonstrate all of those three pieces. We're going to understand who God is as he destroys the earth. Look at this. Verse 7 of 15 says, One of the four living creatures, you remember those? Four creatures around the throne. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. I I know this is is dark, but this thing is, is... exciting to me because, man, it's just like this tension has been building. The evil has been going, but God's going, enough, enough, right? Do you remember back in chapter six, way back in chapter six of Revelation, John seeing the throne room of God, and it's just this weird scene because there's an altar, and under the altar, he hears these voices, then he looks, and do you remember who's under the altars? It's all those who have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ and they're crying out they're saying God when will we see justice and and word is given to them until your number is complete and then you'll see justice baby justice shows up today it's really it's really what it's talking about the answer to that question is now here it is all right Think of it this way. The defendant stands in the court and is declared guilty. Is that the punishment? No. That's the verdict. That was like the seals being read. The trumpet blast. Was that the judgment? Not really. God's expressing some of his anger. When is the judgment delivered to the prisoner? When he goes to prison, jail, right? This is the Peace. Think of giant uh, saucers, these bowls. Here's what I want you to write down. Shallow gold bowls symbolize a sudden wrath that reveals God's glory. So you've got the glory, the gold, the bowls, and don't think of like a round bowl like this. Uh, uh, think of round like this, but they're very shallow. Think of heavy that you can dump real quick. You don't have to pour it out like a bucket, but you just Go like that. So it's, it's sudden wrath that reveals God's glory. These will be quick. They'll be terrible as they're poured out. Let's take a look at verse 8. Then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. This is still the heavenly temple. Remember the clouds, the lightning, all that stuff going on. I find this interesting. This wrath is so important that heaven comes to a standstill. God says, nobody move. Nobody do anything. Let's watch these seven Carry out my purpose. Do you see it? Do you see it? Now all the eyes of uh, heaven are watching what is going on, what is about to take place on the earth. Next chapter, look at chapter 16. Now verse 1, here it is. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Boom, there it is. Get busy, guys. The command is given. Whose voice is this? Well, it's the voice of God specifically. I think it's the voice of Jesus. This is an open-handed issue. I believe this is the voice of Jesus. Let's take a look at the seven bowls in order. Here they come. Bowl number one, verse two. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and severely Painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who had worshipped its image. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about this. If if you had the mark of the beast, if you took this, we read this verse specifically. Uh I I want you to see the sores are uh described that the the Greek in here it's described, let's just get gross, as open running, oozing sores. Turn to your neighbor and say, Ooh, that's gross. That's gross. That's gross. Uh, I, I know uh, it, it's gross, but here's what I want you to see. The sores are the physical reality of the heart's spiritual condition. You understand? Jesus has just turned them over to what is happening in their uh, heart. He's going, and sores, oozing stores, sores painful sores. They have a hard time moving. Their spiritual condition has now been revealed in their physical condition. Verse three, second bowl. Here it comes. You ready? The second poured out his bowl in the sea. It turned to blood like that of a dead person and all all life in the sea died. Now, this is just incredible to see. I, I understand if, if like, if this is your first week stepping in. I mean, we're just going verse by verse through this thing, but this is what it's saying. I want you to notice something. Back when the seven trumpet blasts uh, happened, uh, back a few chapters ago, the judgment only affected one-third of the ocean and one-third of the land. But now, it... In, Infects or affects the full ocean. A hundred percent of all life in the sea drowned, is killed. Why? Well, I mean, there's a lot to read in here, but turned to blood like that of a dead person. What does a dead person's blood have? It doesn't have any oxygen. It's thick, it's dark. It's almost brown in it. It is like molasses in there. And notice how it's delivered. The water turned to blood. Now, we don't know if it's blood, blood like in your body, or if it is something that the blood represents. Maybe a red tide. Uh, We just saw that in Florida. It killed millions and millions of fish. Have you seen that? And they said Florida down the, the Gulf Coast stunk like never before. Because of this red tide. No oxygen in the water. The water was thick. The point I want you to see is that no oxygen described as a dead person. I want you to keep that picture in your head there for just a moment. All life on ocean, in the ocean. Look at verse 4 though. The third poured out his bowl in the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. It's the same thing. Again, back in the trumpet blast, it had been just a third of all the streams. Now it's 100% of all fresh water supplies have now turned to this same kind of oozing blood there. Salt waters, the ocean, now fresh water, they're all cursed. Do you see how this plague works? Write this down, write this down. The seven bowls are a reflection back to the plagues upon Egypt. You remember when... The Egyptians had God's people, the Hebrews, in captivity and and, uh, Moses is uh, being used by God to free them and he sends plagues. These uh, plagues in Egypt are only a tiny fraction. These plagues are the big version. You can look back at Exodus and see these things. In other words, God was just warming up back then and now foreshadowing uh, what he would do to his enemies in the end times. but l- let me just ask, let me just ask, Why blood? I mean, this is huge symbolism we're going to unpack today, because in verse five, that angel that just delivered the freshwater plague begins to speak. So look at that next verse there. Look what this angel said. "This is the angel that just cursed the fresh water. The angel said, I heard the angel of the water say, you are just the Holy One. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus here. Who is and who was, because you have passed judgment on these things. Because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Why is he giving them blood to drink? They deserve it. But why did they deserve it? They had spilled the blood of all of the prophets. Think about all the prophets through the Old Testament. The judges, the prophets, they had spilled the blood of these guys. They had even spilled the blood of John the Baptist. And if you think about it, John the Baptist is almost an Old Testament prophet. He comes from the same kind of line as Elijah. They killed him. They spilled their blood. And they spilled the blood of the lamb. He says, you're going to pay. You're going to pay. And how you're going to pay is you are going to drink the blood of the dead. Do you understand? You are going to drink it. And you go, I don't want to. Fine, all the water on earth, all the salt water, all the fresh water, it's all blood. So if you want to live, you'll drink it. Oh, baby, they drink it. These evil men wanted the blood of the righteous men and women. Now they will get blood, so much so that they have to drink this nasty stuff or whatever it is just to survive. I want you to see this. The enemies of God are forced to drink the blood of wrath. Some of you are going, hey, this seems like a little, a little rough. Not from God's perspective. This is just gross, isn't it? It's just painful to hear. Look at verse seven. I heard the altar say, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, let me just say, uh, when does an altar talk? Let me just uh, answer. Never. What does what it say? Do you remember what we were just talking about? I heard the altar say, this is John just going, So I hear it coming from the altar. He's seen the throne. Who is under the altar? All of those who have been martyred for their testimony about Jesus. So he hears these people say, these Christians that have been killed, they, they say, yes, Lord, God, the Almighty, the true and just are your judgments. In other words, they are confirming. They're saying, look, these judgments are right. They are just. They are in line with what you have have been hurt by. Once again, the altar is the focus of the section. Look at verse 8. The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch the people with fire. And people were scorched by the intense heat, so they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues. And they did not reject or give him glory. Let's unpack this. Two big things I want you to see here. First, it gets really, really hot. You go, like hell? Hell-like, but not Really? People are just cooking in the sun. They're going into caves. They're going underground because the sun becomes so intense. I mean, think of a sun so hot all the time, worldwide, vegetation dies, crops die, animal die animals die, there's no food to eat, or at least very little food out there. And what else happens with heat? This is worldwide, remember? Remember? Well, we're experiencing it now with a tiny bed, but think of worldwide. Ice caps begin to melt. Theologians tell us and scientists tell us, uh, looking at this, that sea levels could rise uh, 200 feet, covering almost all of the world's major cities. Think of New York, Los Angeles, London, all the coastal cities, Miami. They are underwater uh, here. If this happens... uh, This is awful, plus what is the water? It's blood, it's blood. By the way, this is just a preview of hell. This isn't hell. But it's the second thing I want you to focus on. Even though all this is happening, do you understand? Even all this is happening, and God's doing it, and they don't turn to God. They don't repent. In fact, they blaspheme his name. They shake their fist in the air and curse his name. The one who could stop it, the one who could bring them salvation, what do they do? They curse his name. No thought crosses their mind. Hey, maybe maybe I should turn to God because I'm in pain. No, they curse God, which is interesting because you will see uh, in the next volume that the people who are sentenced Eventually, at the great white throne, they don't seek to be saved at all. They don't repent. Look at this, verse 10. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain. And blasphemed God of heaven, the God of heaven, because of their pains and their sores. Remember, running sores. But they did not repent Of their works, now theologians argue on this one, but some think of if the sun is blotted out, it is about to get very, very cold. Here in Colorado, we know about that. We have people from other parts listening. Uh, in Colorado, this time of year, it can be a beautiful day, and you get you're just going, "Man, God, thank you for this day." And the sun goes behind the cloud, and you go, "Whoo!" You know, or the sun goes down, and you you get chilled. Right? Uh, think about a darkness that was worldwide, where there was no sun for weeks and weeks. Um, instant ice age some suggest the cold isn't the problem though Um, they think of it being like a darkness if you read the plagues from the Egyptian time is it's not just hey I can't find my car keys it's so dark it's described as a darkness that is a feeling one that you can't cut with a knife Uh, it is just uh, it's palpable you understand what I'm saying But I suppose it could be both, extremely cold, extremely dark. Bowl six. The sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Stuff just changed. We don't know how massive uh, this is going to be. B, uh, or how this massive river is going to be dried up. Here's what it looks like today. Uh, this is in Iraq. Uh, so it's a pretty big river. Uh, but God, in his wrath, dries it up somehow. Maybe it's the heat. Maybe it's the cold. We don't know. Um, the enemies of God from the east uh, march unabated to Israel. In other words, nothing physical is standing in their way. Uh, let me just ask um, Who are some of the countries to the east that are enemies of Israel? Uh, I mean, a short list would be like Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. That's just to name a few of those boys. Uh, Interesting. You may have seen this. This is uh, this is just an open-handed deal. I just find it very creepy. Uh, I, I read international news. I keep track of this stuff. Uh, did you know that for the last uh, almost 10 years, uh, Iran has built a uh, has been in the process of building a major highway. We would call it a freeway from Iran to just within a couple of miles of Israel's northern border across Iraq, across Syria with both of those countries saying, yeah, we understand you need uh, a a way to get to the ocean. It's... uh, just, it's just creepy. The armies of the east come across this dry river, and watch the imagery described here. This is verse 13. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. You remember that unholy trinity there? What is it saying? The, archi- uh, the Antichrist, the, the false prophet, and Satan are desperately trying to hold the world together in total collapse, right? They're still on the throne, kind of, but stuff is just falling apart. And apparently uh, the false prophet and, and uh, the Antichrist uh, are, are talking to all these kings and they're saying, "Look, we need your help. We know why this thing is going like it is. This is evil. They will say evil is good and good is evil. Do you understand? They're saying, "Look, all of this is coming against the earth because of the evil of Jerusalem. But I want you to see this thing. These frogs symbolize unclean and evil spirits. That's what it's talking about when three frogs come out of their mouth. And we're not sure exactly What this means, but these guys, um, the uh, uh, false prophet, the antichrist, are speaking to these kings, and and they're either talking to them directly and their false spirits going out that way. What I believe it may be, though, is the second option that these are men on earth who are extremely good uh, emissaries uh, uh, and, and. they are possessed by these evil spirits. But they go out from the false prophet, the Antichrist, Satan, and they get all these kings uh, to do something, to attack Israel. Look at it in verse 14. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for, bat, for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Now we've seen a couple of Pictures of this uh, leading up to this point right now. But these kings, these rulers bringing these armies are convinced they are doing good. They are saving the earth from evil by raising up an army to go attack Israel. Do you have the picture? But right in the middle of the vision, a word from Jesus himself to you. Look at verse 15. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. This just sounds strange, doesn't it? Why in the middle of this would he talk about being naked or from where I grew up it's called naked. Anybody else say it's it's naked? It naked is, and so why would Jesus talk about this? The prophet Isaiah gives us a clue seven hundred years before the birth of Jesus. Look what he says. He says, "I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of what salvation." He's clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, praise God. As a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What is it talking about? He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about God has clothed me in Christ Jesus, the the righteousness of Christ. Christians are clothed. He's saying, listen to me. He's saying, uh, I, I want you to be clothed in Christ Jesus. Romans 13, 14 says this, the apostle Paul says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean? Put it on, put him on and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. We are described as being in Christ when we are believers. That is what this is talking about. But then it goes back to the kings from the east with their armies. They have marched across the deserts. They've marched across the deserts. Look at this, verse 16. He said, so that they assemble the kings at the place are called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. The Hebrew word for Armageddon is harmageddon. Uh, Here it is, write this down. Harmageddon means the mountain of Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo. Now this can make, uh, uh, make it confusing, but it's not. Look at this. Do you see it's, you kind of see this mountain in the background right in here. Everybody see that? That's the mountain of Megiddo. We know where it is. It's really not talking about the mountain as much as that vast fertile plain right in front of it. We'll cover this more in volume four of Revelation the next series, but don't get confused. The battle is not on the mountain. It's on that plane in front of it. Why use the mountain? Because that's where you can see the battle from. Does that make sense? When you're standing on the plane, you can't see it. But when you stand on the mountain, you go, oh my goodness. It's interesting, this valley is one of the most fought-over valleys in history. Over 34 major battles happened there. Think uh, in this realm, uh, 50 to 150, and sometimes as many as, check this out, a million men fighting at a time, 150,000 dead, more than all our wars, more than 34 times have been fought here. Um, 1400 years before Christ's birth, um, a Pharaoh stood on top of that mountain and he said, Oh, to capture this valley would be like capturing a thousand fortified cities. Indeed, Napoleon Bonaparte, in his conquest of the area, called this valley the most natural battlefield on earth that he had ever seen. Look at verse 17. Then the seventh poured out his bowl in the air and with a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Do you recognize the phrase from the cross? Maybe your version says it is finished. When Jesus died for our sins on the cross, what does he end his life with? He said it is finished. You could translate this I love this, I love this. It is done and it will remain so. In other words, it is decreed, no one will change my will. Verse 18, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on earth. So great was the quake, The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Now here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. We've seen the flashes of lightning and stuff. Where was that though? That has been in the heavenly throne room. That's not what it's talking about. He's clearly talking about earth. Flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder so loud to make your ears bleed and the severe earthquake unlike any that anyone has seen. It's worldwide and what is destroyed Every major city on earth, it says every city on earth. We have to take that at face value, except uh, this massive earthquake worldwide, it seems that every city is destroyed, except it mentions two by name. Look at these cities. One is Jerusalem. And one is Babylon the Great. I've got to tell you, an open-handed issue, uh, but sometimes people think Babylon the Great is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is Babylon the Great. I personally do not. I think that's wrong. I think they're two different things, and this scripture is the reason why. Look at this. Uh, We don't know if Babylon the Great is an actual city or it is a system of government or a city, and a system of government. I don't want to speculate too far on this, but I think this is the world's economic system. And I'll tell you why in the next uh, volume of series that we do. My point is this. God gives a special cup of his wrath where does this cup of wrath this wine come from do you remember he's uh trampled the wine press you remember from two weeks ago Uh, he's trampled the wine press he goes you want you want some he goes i'll give you i'll give you what you're looking for you want blood here's the blood he pours it out on this babylon the great but then look at jerusalem this is why i think it's different at first glance it appears that the city is destroyed uh but that's not what it says. It says every other city is destroyed. The cities of the nations fell, but Jerusalem is split into three parts. Some theologians think, and I love this idea, it's not destroyed or it would say it's destroyed. It is split into three sections. And it has something to do with bringing three fresh water sources into the city for the millennial reign. God's already making his palace ready for Jesus. He's saying, I'm healing the city. It is not destroyed, he says, but I want to get my city ready. Just another interesting point here is that the gospel of Matthew describes how Jesus died with that loud voice. He gave up his spirit. And do you remember what happened when he yelled, it is done, a massive earthquake, a massive earthquake. Look at verse 20. Every island fled, and the mountains disappeared. We simply do not know what this means. Speculation is that every mountain is shaken. It loses height. Uh, and, and that the waters just being 200 feet above are going to cover most islands. But you also have to think, we saw it this week, bless their heart, uh, in, in Indonesia. You go massive earthquakes all over the world, massive tsunamis. Some people think that those tsunamis will travel more than a thousand miles an hour. Do you understand? Worldwide dev- uh, devastation. Now, the knockout blow is coming. You ready? You ready? Boom, boom. Here's the knockout blow. God's going, you want some? Here it is. Here it is. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell from the sky on people. And they blasphemed God for the plague of hail. Of course they did. Because the plague was extremely severe. Let me just say, you know, we've been in this series now three years. Um, when the Bible says something is extremely severe, just go with it. You know what I'm saying? Because everything's been severe up to this point. But then the Bible goes, but this one, this one's bad. I'm going, we didn't think the, all the other stuff. This one's, this one is bad. Recently, our home was hit by hail. We live uh, in Johnstown. We have a great deal of hail piled up in our yard, almost a foot thick. It was that amount. But none of the pieces of hail were bigger than my pinky, end of my pinky, right? Uh, But it was just amazing because our insurance said, you need a new roof. I go, but none of the, you know, the hail was just tiny. Can you imagine that amount of hail millions and millions of pieces that were in my yard, 100 pounds a apiece. Um, I grew up in Texas and we go back every once in a while to visit family or a couple of years ago, my hometown uh, got hit by hail. I said, we've got hit by hail. But then I, I went and looked and the hailstones were about that big and they went through the roof, not, not damaging the roof, knocking a hole in it. You go, that's incredible. Wait, it doesn't stop there. It went through then the sheetrock, and it doesn't stop there. (laughs) In some cases, it went through another floor with holes. I mean, like a missile. And then the thing wasn't broken. It was sitting there. And it's like, hey, I'm here. You know, it's like, what can you imagine? Every house on earth would be demolished. Every building on earth. Millions, possibly billions dead from this one thing. God himself, in one of the oldest books of the Bible, God himself says, and wrote Job chapter 38 describes uh, storerooms in heaven full of hail um, that were... He says, this hail is reserved for battle, the day of battle. It's reserved for my enemies. Isn't that just creepy? The sheer devastation, the sheer amount of death. God has poured out his final wrath. He's done pouring out his wrath on the physical earth in the tribulation. Judgment is next. The great tribulation, but now, get this picture, get this picture. The earth's destroyed, there's no food, uh, people are dead all over, but then there is a massive army that sits outside from north to south in Israel. that, That valley's in the north and it goes all the way down to just outside the gates of Jerusalem. Millions and millions of people ready to attack Jerusalem. Because they think if we can stop this, if we can destroy Jerusalem, we will win. All of this stuff will reverse. Do you understand what they're thinking? The army is determined to destroy the city. They blame it for everything wrong on the earth. But wait, wait, wait. Christ is coming, described as riding on a white horse. He has a sword, and he's not alone. Let me just say something. If you're a believer right now, you are with him. And Christ comes down to battle against this army. And you know what happens? Well, you'll have to wait for that volume four. (laughs) Let me close our time in this series with uh, Revelation volume three with this. If you know you only have a few weeks to live, it changes the way you look at life, just us. Not just for you, but for those around you. Um, You don't waste time. You know what I mean? Like you go, let's get to the important thing. We call it urgency. What does urgency do? It causes us to reprioritize our priority list. Suddenly, you're not sitting down with a Good People magazine. You know, if you've got urgency, you're, if you only have a few days to live, you're not like going, hey, you know, next month uh, my tags are going out on my car. I'm going to go wait a couple out. You're not doing that. You're like going, that doesn't matter. What matters? Urgency. What are the priorities? Has a way of changing them. Has a way of shrinking down that old list. It's the reason you get so much done on the day before you go on vacation, Right? Like you go, if I'm going to go on this vacation, I'm going to get some stuff done. Like, stay out of my way. I'm getting things done. Or like if your house sits near a river and you see the river flooding, you're listening. You're going, yeah, it's going to inundate. It's going to go over the top of the roof. You go home. You go, hey, kids, what are you watching TV for? Go. And they're going, oh, what we, what's wrong? And you're going, we've got to get out. And you grab your kids. You grab uh, just maybe a picture or two on your way out. You don't even stop for clothes, right? You just grab and go. Why? Because of the urgency, the priorities are there. We've studied the book of Revelation over three years now, taking it verse by verse over three volumes of series. The next series begins a new age, one where decisions made in this time are set. They are not changed in the next. In other words, if you're a Christ follower now in this age, you You're a Christ follower then, but you can't become one in the next age. Do you live your life with urgency? Christ has come and He has suffered life, salvation, a life for those who would follow Him with their whole heart. Where is your urgency? I bet I could see it if I looked at your life. Where's your urgency for your family, for your friends? For those in your life that don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, they are lost, and the future looks unbearable to think about. But we must think about it. We must think about it. We must have urgency of his return. Because when we think of his return as imminent, it will put our priorities right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to open your words of Scripture. God, my prayer is that you would make this urgency just incredible, that you would reprioritize what it means for us to be a Christian and to be a follower of Christ. God, I pray for a revival in our midst, not because of our we're gutting it out, but because you uh, send your spirit in just such great amounts through this church, through our sister churches in our city, so that northern Colorado, indeed Colorado, might see people come to know, know you in mass. God, thank you for this time together as believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.